Today is January 2nd at time of recording. We've entered a new year. Then I just have to say, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. Um, as you can probably hear, my voice is a little shot from this past weekend. Not that I was like out going crazy. I was just telling Rian about my New Year's. I'm sad I did not get to see him for New Year's, but like, I didn't do much. I just think I did more talking than normal. So I apologize if my voice sounds like a dying cat. It's not the intention, but I'm still getting over like March of 2020. Like, I feel like I blinked and we just entered 2022. So here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's been kind of a blur of a year, almost two years now. Do you remember, this is just a random thought I had, but do you remember like summer of 2020 when you were still living in your old apartment and I remember we would record and you would you'd be like, I was like, it's like Rian, where'd you just go? And you're like, oh, I just went downstairs to grab like a bag of alcohol because that's what that's the world that we lived in. And I was like, oh, is that what you're doing tonight? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there weren't that many options at the time. There was and, and yeah, it, it is still we've come a long way, but yeah, we're obviously not going to be fully rid of this uh this this feeling for a a while but you know things are things are looking up in i mean health-wise for most people for although obviously we've been seeing like a lot of our friends and people more people getting covid now than ever the only good thing is that it's not nearly as yeah (laughs) not nearly as uh deadly um for for most people or at least with people who are vaccinated so that's a big step from from two years almost two (laughs) years ago now that's a pretty big step in itself modern medicine is indeed uh, a real marvel and something that we should not take for granted so we gotta at least say our thanks for that i told you i'm gonna try and make it through this but rian tell me tell me about your new year's what did you get up to in the lovely city of new york we're both i think yeah we're both back i don't know why i'm questioning if we're I know yeah. we are. <laughs> <laughs> no um pretty similar to last year's new year's new year's eve honestly um an apartment party and then the next day being a total vegetable and not moving from a from a couch for entire day but yeah it, it kind of just is what it is right now or it's just kind of how it has to be like pretty there are definitely people that I know that did some sort of more normal uh New Year's Eve festivities in the city where which is just getting a ticket to any bar or (laughs) whatever um for like an open bar for a few hours or something like that and Granted, that wasn't an option at all last year. I'm sure there was not sure there was enough demand for it this year. Um, so it it was a, I guess a semi normal New Year's Eve in still what is a semi normal time. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. I feel like we we got closer to no normal than ever before, which is <laughs> actually saying something. So you can only take the little wins. And that's how I look at it. Rian, we're not here to dwell on New Year's. We're heading to 2022. I actually am curious before we do that. Last thing I'll ask, 
any resolutions. I know you're not, I'm not a big resolution person. I know you're not a big, big resolution person. So actually this question is totally pointless, but still. Um, nothing like no, no big themes or anything like that. Honestly, more on the health side, just like sorting just out, stay, like my okay. sorting out, <laughs> sorting out my, um, like general practitioner or whatever, uh, or primary care practitioner and, um, and an eye doctor and a dentist and all that stuff. That's <laughs> probably my, my biggest resolutions. So try to just more practical than anything else. Yep. Uh, just like anything, life anything from you. <laughs> no, I mean, that's so fair. Like just general life things. Um, anything from, uh, I mean, in terms of resolutions, I feel like I'm just trying to take care of myself, just prioritize my own health, prioritize, you know, uh, my body, my mind, all important things. So yeah, it's not less of a resolution, more of a lofty, just general goal. So anyway, on to more soccer things before I start crying in the podcast, but let's start Rian with the Premier League. We're honestly, <laughs> I think I texted you this earlier today, but at some point before this past weekend, the new year's um, games in England, I legitimately did not know who was going to start half of these games. Like just due to injury COVID, I was like, well, I mean, I, I could try. I'm not fit enough to run more than five minutes in a Premier League match, but that, I can try. So let's, let's talk about what is going on in the Premier League right now. Of course, Manchester City after this weekend, now 10 points clear of everybody else, of anybody else. Chelsea and Liverpool drawing today. Manchester City beating Arsenal yesterday in a very controversial match, which we'll touch on. But if you're a betting man, which I know you are, is there any reason, any hope that you can give to someone that is not a Manchester City fan for Manchester City to not win the league? I I think that hope is dwindling quickly, like very, very fast. Um. We got treated today, we should say, like to a a pretty breathless, pretty um, anxiety inducing for some um, overall entertaining 2-2 draw with Chelsea and Liverpool. That first half was like, it's up there with the best games of the season so far, especially in the Premier League. And I think the funniest part of all that or the interesting thing is whenever we're looking at our best games of the season stuff and especially this season it is funny how Liverpool are usually involved in like three quarters of them and I'd say that like for this season there's their home game against uh, Manchester City which I think was also a 2-2 draw um, and their 2-2 draw against Tottenham I think has to go up there one of the best games of the season absolutely uh, and I mean, you, you might even be able to argue um, yesterday's Arsenal and, and Manchester City was a really, really good game for, for the Premier League this season. But then today, again, um, Liverpool involved in what might like, go down as like maybe the best game of the season, especially that first 45 minutes. I mean, it was it was, like I said, breathless, like absolutely breathtaking. There was a point like. I'm a neutral in all this, as everyone knows, but there's a point where I genuinely 
was stressed, not like for any particular side, just stressed watching the game in like the most positive way possible. Like it was, it was entertainment stress. It wasn't like, Oh my God, I need someone to score. Now it was more like, wow, I genuinely can't tell you what's going to happen next in that game. But to your original question, right. I, I think that the odds are absolutely dwindling that anyone other than Manchester city is going to win the Premier league. I will say flip the script for a second, go back two years and the position that Liverpool were in basically at this point two years ago and where Manchester city were, I mean, it's almost an equivalent state, right? Where the positions were swapped. The difference of course, is that barring, I mean, we can't predict injuries or COVID anything like that, but barring anything crazy, those squads are very different. Those teams are very different. I think you're probably going to put more money on Manchester City being able to go on, on a run like they are and continuing that into, the, into 2022 versus what Liverpool did not do two years ago. And so that's why I think it'd be very difficult, even looking at the run of form. It's so funny seeing their last five games for each, each of the top three sides. Manchester City has wins across the board. Chelsea have, what, one win in their last five games? And Liverpool have two. So I don't see a situation where you basically fully have to completely flip those, those scripts. So I'm not going to bet on it, but I'm, I'm fairly confident in that prediction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, City are minus 1350 to win the Premier League right now. Liverpool at second best with plus 1100 and Chelsea's at plus 3800. It, it's hard to bet on any of those teams. We know that Chelsea plays Manchester City in the league in two weeks um it, even oh, i mean even a win in that game i don't think um sways those odds very much but i, I think just for what we saw today and what it, what it means going forward it's it's just really hard it's really hard to uh, be perfect enough to like, get to to be at manchester city's level right now and uh we say we I think we've said we said it already like they've they've been luckier than the other two in terms of injuries and COVID and sometimes that's kind of what you need to win like over a 38 game season you kind of need some luck um and they had that and just on top of that they have the, the best squad in the in the league and um they're playing the best football of, of any team definitely in England and arguably in Europe so well, I have, I have an interesting difficult. question for you because this is not even in the, in the notes, just for the record. Um, but I actually am curious to get your take on this because you just at the end hit on it about Europe. Do you think that there's any reason to bet against Manchester City winning the Champions League? Would be my question now. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, always because it's, it's a knockout. Fair. Okay. <laughs> it's, From- it's a knockout. I, I think, yeah, I, I think... Um... Well, no, I'll just leave. Reasons. That's fine. I'll just, yeah, no. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> sorry, no, I didn't, sorry to be so matter of fact. Yeah, I, just because, I mean, we've kind of, we've we've pretty much had this conversation coming on three, three years. years. <laughs> so so I, I'm not getting, they're not fooling me, all right? They're not, they're not fooling me into thinking that they're sure on. And I think that um, if there is a team outside of maybe one of the English teams that, you'd bet on for the uh, Champions League. It, 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 Bayern have looked at least as like uh, pretty much in the league, the same, pretty much the same level 
as uh, Manchester City. And then in the Champions League, the Bayern Munich have been great too. So I, I think there's still enough there. And I still wouldn't be surprised if they were, if Chelsea or Liverpool found a way to, to get past City in a in a knockout round tie as well, just because we, we've seen that they can all, they can all pose danger to each other on a in one game in one over True. one or two games. I mean, what we're seeing right now is the difference between the three of them is that over twenty odd games that the season has has taken on so far, only one of the three of them can really like survive how kind of um, grueling this season has already been. So it, it's I think you can I think I would still take the field if we're talking about the yeah Champions yeah. League. I'll still take the field, but um, it's it's a little disappointing that the league that we thought would at least get to February, January, February, March time. And I mean, thinking that we would at minimum have two teams full that were still very close to each other um, for the Premier League title. It's a bit disappointing that we're <laughs> coming on the second of January and we're already kind of like, ah, uh, well, <laughs> is it, <laughs> is it over? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're having this conversation again um, earlier than last season. So that's, that's the unfortunate thing. Yeah. Well, that's actually a really good segue into our next question. Right. Because one of the things that I've seen a lot on Twitter and kind of, more, I guess a more, interesting narrative is about the dominance of the Premier League, right? Is the Premier League the most competitive league? Is it the most attractive league to play in? And I think we can both agree Chelsea, Liverpool, City are probably three of the top five teams in the world right now. But when it comes to competition within the league, you're looking at a team in Manchester City that is, like I said, 10 points clear of those two teams I just mentioned. So you know where I kind of stand on this and I'll give my, my thoughts in a second, but does this lead to kind of a divergence of thought between the Premier League actually being the most competitive league in the world and the 10 point gap that Manchester City have just opened up? Yeah, I, I think this one is really is difficult in the sense of competition at the top and competition between the entire um, Premier League itself, right? Uh, if we're talking about it from the entirety of the league itself, right? We're talking about not just those really, really good top three teams, right? I should say amazing top one team, extremely good second team, really good third team, and then then there's a bit of a drop off from there as from uh, third to below but i mean i think it feels like every week when we're watching these actual teams play um the teams like even mid table and and you know from like let's say eighth on downward like you, you think about like a brighton who always look really really competitive in these games and and just aren't able to you know come up with those special moments um the same thing with as, as kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as they've been, Leicester City have shown that on any day when fully fit and, you know, and, and um, able to get a little luck on their side as well. Like they, they have enough to beat any team in the division as well too. But I, I think 
what you're kind of hitting on is like the the very very top where we at least we were like all right at least we we know that these few teams are way better or way uh more well positioned to win a league than everyone else but we would think that they're still going to be like some competition between them and even though we've seen in their individual games that they've been really competitive um what we've seen from the rest from the other games is that yeah for whatever reason i mean there are a lot of reasons that that probably take too long for us to even go through (laughs) yeah but for whatever reason one of those three teams handles the rest of the league a lot better than um or with more control I, i should say than uh chelsea and liverpool do and I think it is a. I think it's a, a little disappointing in the sense of how dominant Manchester City have been, but I do think we have to think about kind of the circumstances as well. Like we already said, they've been a little lucky with COVID and injuries, but on top of that, they have a coach who's going to go down as one of the best coaches in the history of this sport. Like we've seen what the drop-off was between Manchester United without Sir Alex Ferguson and in the eight, nine years coming on um, that he's been away from the club or, or at least not the manager. We see how deep that drop-off can be when you have a manager at that level. The replacement, as we've also seen at Pep's other um, destinations, the replacement is a steep, steep drop-off and it, it feels kind of uh a little hopeless but it, it does feel like you know we're kind of waiting for him to move on and then uh, then yes we will go and we could have three and four team title races but it's just you know that, that's the level that that um Manchester City and Pep have gone to and you can't I mean politics aside you can't fault them I didn't. I to, I just want to say I didn't sign up for the politics aside part. That yeah. that will never happen. But continue. Politics aside, you can't criticize them too much for being having the money they do, being just extremely well run from boardroom down, um, for the most part, right? So you can't you can't fault how much better they've been at. Um, finding players that fit their system perfectly and being able to get through stretches without, as we talked about before, with Kevin De Bruyne, without one of their best players for most of the season and so be in this position. And it's uh, the only thing disappointing is how efficient they are with it. I don't think uh, for the league itself, it's, it's unfortunate, but there are still some really, really fun teams and really, really talented teams out for throughout the rest of the league that still produce very entertaining games and at least make it difficult for let's say 19 of the 20 teams in the league right now yeah i think there's actually uh almost a separate narrative for manchester city to be had around influx of cash which could into like i'm talking about it for elite teams and which could alone be a podcast in and of itself but for the purpose of this question right the competitiveness of the league is largely driven by three, in my opinion, top class managers, right? That being kind of the focal point, the foundation of where these three teams really started their resurgence in Liverpool and Chelsea um, and dominance in Manchester City. Now, 
the interesting part of all of this, of course, is kind of one thing that you just mentioned in recruiting and talent that they're able to identify. And I think there's a very, very direct correlation between not necessarily just transfer budget and talent that they sign, but more so scouts and all the resources they have. Like, I, I don't think that's talked about enough in football. And the reason why I think, at least in my opinion, La Liga is more of a quote-unquote competitive league, even though you have kind of a duopoly, triopoly, depending on how you look at La Liga now, I think the reason it's more competitive is because there is a different focus traditionally within Spanish football. And that's on just the gifted nature, the talent, the, the technical quality of a player versus in the Premier League. I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but there is definitely more of an emphasis on the physicality and not necessarily the physicality of play, but almost the physical nature of a player, right? How, how strong they are, how, how not necessarily muscular, but like, what is their stature, right? What can they do, you know, <laughs> and how can they use their body versus how can they use the ball first and foremost, at least that's always been my perception. Again, I grew up watching Spanish football most of my life versus the Premier League. So I'm coming with that point of view, but that isn't to say that the Premier League does not have high quality because like I just mentioned, three of the top five teams in the world are in England. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't mention, I mean, still shout out to Adama Chiroy with how much oh my God. baby oil, baby is oil. Used on yeah. them. <laughs> you know, what's funny uh, about that? Not like the baby oil side of it, but think about I mean, what, that is funny. I mean, that is hysterical that I'm, I'm saying irrespective of that. The funny part to me is that, I mean, you know, the answer to this, but, where did Adama Traore start? Where did he start his career? Right? In Spain, right? And, and it's not even a Barcelona thing. It's more just he didn't have a certain style of play or a certain nuance to his game that fit a lot of Spanish football, but fit in really, really well at Wolves, right? Because of his directness, because of his ability to run at players. And that skill set's just, I think, valued differently, leading to a difference in competitive competitiveness um across kind of the different leagues because i think there's probably probably more i would say physical players quote unquote versus technical players in the world yeah so yeah no definitely um uh just to one last thing to touch on with the recruiting part of it like let's just take liverpool and chelsea for this Liverpool, we've seen over the last like four or five weeks how little depth they have in that midfield area. You have Thiago and Fabinho being out at different times. And when they don't have both of them in, there's something so missing from that from the midfield. Like even when they bring in look the day they brought in James Milner, who bless him for how well he's kept his fitness up uh, up until this age, but you know, he is pretty much in the last year maybe maybe the last year of his um career at this level right and and that's someone that they actually had to rely on for this game we've seen Alex Oxley Chamberlain come in recently and not be nearly good enough for to push Liverpool forward and and we've seen the same thing when um when Naby Keita has, has come in at times too he's just a bit he just doesn't have the consistency quite quite yet um that kind of 
neglection of their midfield of adding players to it over the last couple of years. That's put them in this position where they have good enough defenders at the back and they have one of the best front lines in the world. And there's no one who can really get the ball to that or, or on a consistent basis. I should say like in today's game, like they were bypassing the midfield, like almost completely. Right. And, and it worked for, for a stretch, but we saw how they could never get any control of that game. And so there was always the opportunity for Chelsea to get a goal back get one goal back in. And then they obviously end up getting two of them on the Chelsea side. We talked last year about how there was, there was obviously not a lot of um, coordination to like the attackers that were brought in. It was just kind of who's, who's out there, like who is very talented, but is at, is going to be sold at a nice price kind of thing. And um, we saw how the fit never really felt like it went perfectly at any point last season. And there's obviously still some teething issues there this season. Right. So that's kind of the difference. Like city brought in players that made sense. Um, and even when they don't necessarily make the most sense, they, they have uh, a friend out in Catalonia who can take them <laughs> off of their hands. <laughs> it True. doesn't quite work out. So, True. So especially, especially if they're uh, a native Spanish player. Oh my God. Exactly. <laughs> easy, easy 50 mil right there. We should get paid for our thoughts Rian, Cause if it's really that simple, and uh, recruiting strategies are exactly what uh, what we say. We should be working for these clubs. No, that yeah. would be terrible. We get kicked out in seconds. So, <laughs> but anyway, Rian, last question on England um, that I want to go over to. Now that we probably have taken care of the top three, I think four, five, six, and seven are probably the more interesting places because. Between those four spots, only four points separates them. You're talking about Arsenal on 37, or excuse me, Arsenal on 35, West Ham on 34, Spurs on 33, and United <clears throat> United on 31. Um, it is important to note, of course, Spurs and United have played two games less than, um, than Arsenal and West Ham. And I think we're getting into one of those situations where the table is just misleading again. And it's going to be until the end of the season. So I almost... I almost think that whatever we say might easily just be flipped tomorrow or whenever these games are rescheduled. But if you had to rank, let's start with who you think is going to finish fourth and then the bottom or the, the other three teams, who would you pick? And, and just before I jump in here, like this is all assuming which I assume Ellie still agrees with me is that that the top three is going to be the top three. Yeah. I guess we're working off of that assumption, which, I mean, if you think about it, it, it's not impossible for someone to catch, let's say, I mean, Liverpool, Chelsea are based on the same thing. It's not impossible, but seven, eight point gap is is still significant. Yeah. Um, And so that, that being said, at least you hit on it. Like the, these four teams that we're talking about here, Arsenal, West Ham, Tottenham, and, and Manchester United. Tottenham and United have played two fewer games than Arsenal and West Ham, who are both on 20 games played. I mean, Tottenham's been in great form recently. I, we, we've seen them struggle a bit to break down 
teams who are sitting very low against them, but you know, they had their one game this past weekend where they were able to find that goal against Watford the game before that they weren't able to find that goal against Southampton. So uh, we don't know how consistent that's going to be for the rest of the season. And I don't think that's going to cost them a fourth place finish either because the rest of these no. teams are show, showing their own, obviously none of them are perfect. Um, so also, I think it's pretty important to point out that Spurs in general and all competitions are now seven games unbeaten. So that run of form is, I mean, probably their best run of form in two years season. Yeah. 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 Probably. Um, probably since the first half of last season. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, TBT. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, okay. I think for me, I, I've, I've been pretty bullish on Manchester United being able to keep here. We go. Oh my God. I've been bullish I'm on get it. Tylenol. I'm going to get Tylenol. I swear but, I'm going to get Tylenol. No, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> I, I had been pretty bullish about it, right? But what I've... I've been expecting them to be able to just take control of these games in a better fashion. But honestly, I, I think unless they bring in a center midfielder this month or promote an academy graduate to play over either Fred or Scott McTominay. Just pick either one and, until they <laughs> just take your pick. That might be the most disrespectful thing you've said across all of our, our podcasts. And I've, uh, we have heard some pretty disrespectful things that is might take the, the, I mean, there's like someone, there's someone better than, than either of those two. Um, it's going to be hard for them to get that player in. I mean, I don't know what's I mean, purely because I don't know what's what could be out there for them. But um, all of this to say, I think. I think I'm going to say. Tottenham number one. For right now, and. I'm even going to go with Arsenal second of those four and then Manchester United and West Ham and also just because we do have to show them love for how rattled they had City looking oh yeah yesterday yeah. like like genuinely rattled the turnovers the the transitions which for the first time this season outside of outside of of stretches in that um in their in city's trip to anfield against liverpool it's the first time i've seen a team give city such fits on transitions this season in the league at least and that level of play plus the fact they are not playing in any other competitions any non-domestic competitions it's. I think they've got a. They've got a, every week. I've got to be like. I think they've actually got. Like a you're more and more chance. hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. There's there, there's repeatable things there. Um. Again, I mean, they're they're probably one or two major injuries. Not even major, but one or two. You know, three to four week injuries away from from someone in that front line. Um, kind of derailing their their bid, but. I don't that know. that I can just... be said across any of those, of course, those teams of course. too, which is important to point out. And I think yeah. on the point of Arsenal, I 
am very, very impressed with them, not just because of the way that they're, they've been playing, but how they've been playing in the face of the Aubameyang incident, plural almost incidents. Um, that I think is the most impressive part because in some ways I've kind of secretly thought that Aubameyang has been holding them back in the striker position. And I think Lacazette may not be the long-term solution to that position, but he is a much better fit for what Miguel Arteta is trying to do. He's trying to play more so with a, a lot of interchange between the, the wing players, wingers, especially as it relates to Odegaard's positioning. Lacazette absolutely drops much deeper than Aubameyang does and is less one-dimensional. I think that has made them a much better side. Um, so Mikel Arteta has won that one-on-one player versus manager battle. There's a whole other player versus manager battle we'll talk about when it's resolved. But as it relates to Arsenal, I think they've absolutely gotten it right. As it relates to Spurs, United, and West Ham, I actually agree with you. I- I'm I'm picking Spurs for my fourth place spot as well. And I do think that Conte has them obviously going in the right direction, but more so he started to shift the mentality of this team, which I feel like I've talked about for quite literally two and a half years at this point, And just, it has not gotten through to anybody. And I feel like I'm screaming into a void, but he has actually shifted this team to mentally think that they can compete for the top four spots. Like they never actively looked like they were a top four spot uh, side. And now he has them playing to their strengths, right? There are obvious weaknesses in this team, right? We can talk about them a half the day, right? And in some ways they're very similar to United, but I think that having such a manager that can, can just elicit the, the best possible skill sets out of whatever he has available, which honestly I thought Mourinho did a good job of in his first year and then it all went south, but Conte, I think, is doing that on steroids. Plus, he he has a better squad. So it's it's a good combination. United, talk to talk. Here's here's what I'll say on United. Talk to me the first week of March. No, the second week of March, when they have gotten through their round of 16 games, um, both legs in the Champions League. And talk to me about then when who are they playing in the Champions League? I literally forgot. It's not Villarreal again, is it? I forgot too. I'll, I'll, I'll look. Irrespective, after they get knocked out of the round of sixteen, that's when I'll know about if Manchester United are actually a real team to 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 compete for the top four. Because right now they're not. Sorry, not sorry. Oh, no, just... you're good. It's, it's Atletico. <laughs> it's Atletico. Oh yes, of course, it's Atletico. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. definitely talk yeah. to me after the round I mean, of sixteen. That'll be that'll be one a sore one for the eyes. Let's see. <laughs> that's gonna be an eye sore. Oh, uh, there are a lot of people <laughs> in Madrid who are not excited for that. I can tell you that. Uh, that's but, so um, true. But so, so, Alex, was that you putting Spurs as your first, your first Definitely. team as well? Definitely. Um, and did you did you go with United or Arsenal first? I'm then? I'm gonna go with Arsenal for fifth, um, just because I think, again, this is barring massive injuries, COVID, etc. But I, I think that they started to develop an identity which we hadn't seen for several years. And what I mean by that is everyone has started to buy in to a style of play focused around Odegaard as really the focal point in the progressive passing of this team. 
and everyone understands where they should be and when. And that's a very, very, very difficult concept to do <laughs> like within a squad of players. It took Pep years to do that at Manchester City. And it's taken, it took Hansi Flick even not years, but a very long time with probably a better squad at that point. My point is it takes a long time to do that. Um, and Arteta, I think, is doing that with a much less skilled squad than the other top sides in Europe. I think that absolutely deserves um, deserves plaudits. I will say just one note on Arsenal, and then I will we'll go to a break. A lot of people are really bullish on Martinelli, and I think he's a wonderful player, but I think he is possibly going to be the downfall of this Arsenal side if if they don't make top four. The reason why I think that is because I think over the over this season, I've seen him be way too selfish with the ball. And in a team where I think Arteta wants to get the most out of the entire team and how they play, regardless of who scores, he's going to need to be less selfish. Not to say he's he's a very skillful player and, and it's wonderful to watch, but I do think that is one potential red flag for Arsenal. Yeah, that, that always comes, I think, with young young attackers too. I think mm-hmm. I think he's shown he's shown enough at least that he deserves to, to keep starting. And oh yeah, I th- I think look they're they're very young, so that also has to be a caveat into all of this too with them. Even putting them second might be a bit ambitious for us because they are so <laughs> young, and they're they're just bound to have a rough patch at some point between now and the rest of the season because they haven't all developed that consistency yet and. We'll we'll see how they handle the pressure as the season keeps going too. Because for all of them, it'll be their first time actually fighting for first time with the where the club is actually fighting for a top four spot. So obviously that'll bring its own um, brand of pressure. Uh, I think just just one last thing for me to as we get out of here um, for a break. So we didn't talk much about West Ham there, but they they followed up two straight defeats with two straight wins and they're just still kind of hanging around and that's and uh that's seen that we'll be really excited to see how they perform in europa league they're sure this is a good time for them where they don't have to do both at the same time um but we'll, we'll see how they go on for the rest of the season but they they're hanging around in that in the top four race too and i expect them to be in the conversation for for at least a little while as we get deeper into the season still very true very true cannot count them out well with that let's take a quick break we'll we'll talk very briefly about the uh the news topics in la liga a very very interesting weekend after the the winter break um and more of a general conversation about the winter break too all right rian let's talk spanish football very, 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 very interesting weekend. Back from the winter break. The one difference in, in Spain versus England, I mean, there are many, but one of many, of course, is that there was a Christmas break or a winter break. Now, downside to that is a lot of players picked up COVID suddenly over the winter break. Um, I think it was upwards of three or four players on Atleti's squad. I think six or seven in the Barcelona squad. And Real Madrid, also around six or seven players as well. So after, of course, everyone returns from the winter break, we see Atletico finally squeak out a win in La Liga after four straight losses. We see 
Real Madrid lose for the first time in months against uh, an absolutely revised Atafe side um, in, in, I think it was the first time in three months or something like that. But um, under Kike Flores, incredible win. First time in a decade. And then, of course, we saw Barcelona squeak out a win with a very depleted side against uh, Mallorca. So let's start with Atletico for a second. Are they back on track after the win against Rio? Because Rio are, interestingly enough, after being promoted from the Saguna this past season, they are essentially fighting for a European spot now, which is not at all a position that anybody expected them to be in. But after today's loss, they're now in sixth. So for Atletico, is this now a turning point for them? I, I think coming off of four straight losses, um, I, I, I think it's probably too early to say that. I, Rio have been great this season, but their underlying XG numbers kind of told you that they've been running pretty hot. They've been a bit yep. lucky. <laughs> Just, very, very. Yeah, like pretty much going into this game, pretty much even on expected goal difference per game this season. Uh, and as great as that story was at the beginning of the season for Radamel Falcao and and how many pivotal goals he's coming up with in the first six or so weeks, uh, he has also gone a bit cold recently. Um, and I know that he's, he's had his own issues with, um, injuries as well, but the team, this is a team that Atletico should beat. Like all things considered, this is a game that yeah. we, we would expect them to win and we would expect them to be comfortable winning. It's the issues are all of the other games where it doesn't seem like they have much control. Um, and I think it was Sid Lowe that said it a few weeks ago on, on the Spanish football podcast where he was quoting Diego Simeone, actually, that who said that they were having Atletico were having issues defending like pivotal moments and that's yeah. something that and that's something that that we always expect from Atleti is that they're always going to end up getting that block or they're going to be able to get back in transition and stop a counterattack and all that stuff and and whether it was the crucial tackle or the tactical foul or whatever extra piece of effort that needs to be done in the box that they were they had just haven't been doing it nearly to the level that that we expect from them and especially what we saw uh last season so i still think there's a (laughs) there's a lot of issues with the team um i think they still have a great chance of finishing top four i still expect them to finish in the top four we've already written them off for for the league i think that's pretty safe um so it's really like like the the next half of the season is a i don't want to say like a total free hit but you're not expected to win the league yeah. Um, you've got you're you're obviously still in the Champions League. You're still in in Copa del Rey. Um, there's there's no reason to. This feels like the, this feels like a good time to, to at least expand a bit or try to figure out your get your best players and try to get them to work. Try to get a guy like Jao Felix to work. Um, it, it's we've we've got to see something different from them in the second half of the season. They have no real excuse not to try to try some sort of variation right Agreed. i'm not talking about a wholesale change but like you know you have, you have to try to 
put yourself in a position where next season you're not out of the title race by Christmas. Seriously, because I mean, it's funny because you mentioned that their um, their expectation is not to win the league. It was to retain it the first month of the season, but obviously it no longer is because of the position that they put themselves in. And to go back to the original question, do I think Atletico have turned things around? I'm actually going to go and challenge that a little bit. I do think they have, but it has very little to do with the lineup, any of the changes um, Simeone meant uh, or, or made, because I think a lot of it was due to COVID. I mean, you saw Angel Correa and Luis Suarez starting up front um, for the first time, basically since the beginning of the season, which funny enough, Angel Correa went on a scoring tear, right? And as he did today against Rio, scored two goals. But what's more interesting to me is how Jan Oblak is going to perform the rest of the season. Um, it's not something that's been talked about a lot, but he is currently, in terms of shots saved versus expected goals from those shots, performing as the worst goalkeeper in La Liga. And that is something that I think I think Spanish media has picked up a little bit on, but in terms of number of points that potentially cost them, probably upwards of six or seven. And if you add those six or seven, I mean, how close does that put you in touching distance towards Real Madrid, right? So that's probably been something that has not been focused on enough. And I do think that in the same way that Rio, I think will come back down to earth in terms of their quality, in terms of what they can do the remaining half of the season. I think Atletico will also do the same with Jan Oblak. And I also do expect Simeone to start making some of these changes with Jao Felix coming into the starting lineup. I don't know what that midfield is going to look like come, let's call it their Manchester United round of 16 time Champions League. I do not know because I simply cannot speculate with COVID right now in Spain. But I really did like what they set up today with Lamar, Congumbia, DePaul, and basically Carrasco in some fashion. Um, that seems to be solidified as their starting 11. Congumbia, uh, I have my thoughts on separately, but as a squad player, seems to work. So that, those are my thoughts on Atleti. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done there. Um... Obviously, they got to get some guys back, but a lot of work to be done. That that's, there's a reason why I said that the game between them and Manchester United is <laughs> is looking like it's going to be a total eyesore. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, so true. But Elias, from one side of Madrid to the other, as you said, Real had their first loss today in since October, I believe. Um, losing to Losing to, uh, I believe it was Getafe, right? Losing to Getafe, early morning yeah. game, which I promptly woke up and was already 10 minutes late for the start of the game and missed the only goal of the game. So <laughs> I didn't even see the goal. Um, I, I watched it back. But wh- what happened with Real Madrid is, I think, a microcosm of what we're actually about to see with other Spanish teams, especially the top six let's say real madrid put out a starting lineup that basically was what they had to start with the nice part for them is that arguably one of the best parts of their team in their midfield 
completely stayed intact. But starting Rodrigo and Asensio alongside of Benzema was not the most fluid attack I've ever seen, if I'm putting it mildly. It looked like Real Madrid had gone on the winter break, had too much eggnog for Christmas, and it was still sitting in their stomachs. Like they just couldn't move as much. And I think that was really, really personified when Casemiro and I think the 94th minute basically made, (coughs) excuse me, made a tackle. And I think it was Jaime Mata and Jaime Mata was running down the wing. He wouldn't have been clear on goal. He just would have ran past Casemiro. And then Casemiro just took him out, took the yellow. Like it was nothing. Like it was just standard procedure, which might be a Casemiro issue, but I think it was more of just like this aura of laziness surrounding Real Madrid today. And I almost feel like Madrid fans just want to write this game off as like uh, return to you know, back into league play or like we have a bunch of players out because of COVID. It, it seemed just odd. Um, shockingly, I, I can't even name a player that performed well today. Usually I can. Militao was uncharacteristically poor. I thought Marcelo was equally poor. Alaba, who has largely had a very good season, again, misplaced several passes. Benzema was probably the only player that was really making things happen. And Tony Kroos was really the player for me that just was terrible today by his standards, terrible. And honestly, by most people's. So I'll go back to the original question. Now that it's Real Madrid's first loss in months, I think we need to have a more serious conversation about the effect that COVID is not only having on Spanish teams right now, but more so across Europe's top five, um, top five leagues. One of the things that really interested me the most in watching the Premier League this weekend was how packed all these stadiums were. And I was genuinely shocked because recently in Spain, they reduced the capacity to 75% in stadiums. And at least everyone has to wear a mask in the stadium. In England, no one's wearing a mask in the stadium. Cases are much higher and it's fully packed. And I'm thinking to myself, I'll never forget about three months into the pandemic when a report came out that something close to 75 or 78 deaths from COVID were related to the last game played before the pandemic. And that was Liverpool versus Atletico in the Champions League. And I think back to now, we're obviously we're, you know, as a world in a better position, but how many people are picking up COVID in those stadiums from just standing and breathing in each other? And how is that affecting the players too? Because it's not like players are completely siloed off from the public, right? They still have to walk around and do life kind of like how we do, which is why so many people or players are picking it up. And I think that that we should have a larger conversation about what should the leagues be doing to take those precautions and what do metrics look like? What do cases look like in order for certain restrictions to be lifted or to be put in place? I just don't think it's clear enough across Europe. And I think that's part of what's happening in in Spain. Oh yeah. I mean, totally agreed. (laughs) It's amazing that like we've seen um, just about every other league, not just about every other league. I, sh- I say really the Bundesliga was, I think, the first of the big five leagues to reduce the capacity again to scale it back. And, and honestly, I'm not sure if it's happened um, in Italy or in France either. But just from the two leagues that we watch, I- I've seen that there are fewer fans in the stadiums for Spain, and as you said, almost every person's wearing a mask in there. <laughs> England, as we've seen with how they 
with how they treat um, refereeing regulations, <laughs> with how they treat how they treated the five subs, the winter break. They love to do things their own way. Um, it's it's so, yeah one of the things that makes our country and, and uh, <laughs> England so similar. You can see where we get special. It I, I prefer the term special. Yeah, you can see where we get it from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a real concern. Like we we know this. It's 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 making people feel like um there's some loss of integrity in the Premier League this season because of all of the the games that have had to be uh to postponed it's really just a symptom of the entire situation how it's been handled with you know not even not even just the fans in the stadiums but also the many reports that we've seen on how few um, players in England have been vaccinated compared to players in literally every other league in Europe. So it's it's not a surprise what we're seeing. Um, it's a problem. It, it's a problem, of course. And um, we're we're about to we're about to be what just a few weeks away from continental competition starting up again and people yep. going across borders. Um, it's it's a little scary. It's a little scary. I'm not, can't lie. A little bit. Yeah. And I, and I don't think it's going to get better right now. It just, it's just not. And I fear, is there a world where we go back to even more restrictions? I don't think we'll go back to a world where no one's led into stadiums. I just don't think that's going to happen, but is there a world where everyone who has to come to the stadium has to get tested and upload it to a portal to get checked? I don't like, I'm just, I'm spitballing, but it'll be, it'll be interesting. I, I think I saw one rumor. I, I can't even remember the source. So I'm, so I'm not going to say that this is anything remotely to official, but um, it will be interesting to see if UEFA considers doing what they did two years ago um, with the knockout rounds where staging in neutral stadiums and, or maybe one city or something like that for the rest of the season. Yeah. I, I would be, I would be surprised. But there, there is a mandate, I believe, now in Italy and in France that the players, that players must, like, mandatory vaccination, pretty much. Any player that plays in a game, I don't know exactly when this mandate will start. I think maybe next month or the month after. But players will need to be vaccinated to play in games in those countries, which is really unfortunate that it's had to come to that. Like it's unfortunate that's come to that in the first place, but Agreed. Um, yeah. it'll be interesting that to see if UEFA tries to set up neutral venues for um, teams from those, from those countries, uh, their games in the, in the champions league or in, and obviously in Europa and, and never, don't, don't forget our competition now. It's my competition. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are built different, but anyway, Rian, before we wrap up, I do want to talk about two teams that we've briefly touched on with Real Sociedad, but less so with Real Betis. I want to talk about who's more likely to make the top four between those two teams. You're talking about Real Sociedad, who currently sitting in seventh, at some point were sitting in first and have fallen off dramatically. Four losses in their last five just drew, I, I believe, against it was Alavis uh, this morning. <clears throat> And look like a shell of their former selves. Um, I don't know what to really make of them. Meanwhile, Real Batiste, just three weeks ago, 
absolutely stomped on Real Sociedad um, back, I think it was December 12th, somewhere in there in that time frame. 4-0. Um, relatively even game if you look at statistics and whatnot and and how you know both those teams played but it was not it was a very very lopsided performance and now that we're looking at a team in Real Sociedad who are basically in a rut and Real Betis who just today lost to Celta Vigo courtesy of of course Iago Aspas two goals by Iago Aspas stunners like I, one, yeah second yeah, yeah. one was a stunner of course <laughs> like like I, you could say that and even if i hadn't seen them i believe it it's it's truly amazing what he's still doing at that age but anyway my question is which of those teams do you think is more likely to take uh to stay not even stay in the top four but potentially finish top four yeah i i there's only three points I'm gonna between go them, with, by the way. I'll, yeah. I'll just throw that out there. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with asterisk here, but I'm going to go with Sociedad if they can bring in another creative central midfielder that can play when David Silva is is not <laughs> available. Um, it, it's obviously a, a – I guess I would ask you, Elias, who do you believe has – better depth between the two of them because that's i mean yeah i mean i think so i from what we've seen i sociedad's depth has been challenged heavily the last month and a half and it's the reason why they've fallen off so much so i i feel like the bigger question the the question that um will probably be the best way to pick between these two is is who has greater depth on the on the two squads because i think that will carry that particular team all the way through the end of the season. And we know that that's usually, that's usually the difference when it's, when you're talking about fourth and fifth, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And honestly, Real Sociedad's depth has been tested and challenged, but I still think that they have the better, the better bench. Um, they also have more players that I think are, have either played um, for Real Sociedad this season slash in La Liga versus Real Batiste, who are still in some ways not necessarily formulating their identity because I think Manuel Pellegrini has done a wonderful, wonderful job this season. But I just don't think that if all of a sudden three or four players were to get COVID, I'd be very concerned about Real Batiste. I, I, like, I don't know what they would be able to do, especially if I, – I would say especially if anyone in their midfield got COVID, essentially. Like if anyone in their midfield got COVID, I think – I think that changes the dynamics of this team massively. I am also very concerned about Real Sociedad. One player that I, I'm just saddened to see his road of form, Oyer Thabal, has just not played up to his standard this season. And I don't know why. I legitimately don't know why, because nothing has necessarily changed. Yeah, especially after how I thought encouraging he looked in the summer. And, and Exactly. And for a lot of the second half of last season for Sociedad. Exactly, exactly. And he had a wonderful Euros, wonderful back end of last season but it's just not been able to continue that run of form. And it's not like he's playing out of position, playing in a different place. It's all relatively the same. Um, But I do think that if I had to pick a team to finish top four, more than likely, I probably still pick Real Sociedad just because of how well they started the season. And for a, a team that never really talks about winning the league or finishing top four that much, it was refreshing to kind of see 
some of, I guess, the narrative coming out of La Real be around, okay, maybe we can actually do this, right? Versus, yeah, well, it's always the usual top three and then Sevilla and Villarreal sometimes are in the mix for that other fourth spot. But I- I'm still going to lean on Real Sociedad despite their their run of form. I, I think that's fair. I mean, it'll be fun. Correct me if I'm wrong. These two are from both from um, the Basque country. Are they both? Not bet. Oh, Betis is not. Bet- so Bet- Sociedad. Betis is not. Yeah. Uh, Sociedad, Sociedad and, uh, and Bilbao. Soci- yes, exactly. Got it. But yeah, I think it's, it's, I, I still probably wouldn't pick either of them. I still feel Dark Horse is Villarreal to, to somehow. Oh, I, I do that like that. Spot, I do but, like that. Um, <clears throat> but it, it feels like it should be very close. Um, and, and obviously I would throw out Barcelona there too. If, Hey. Hey. they need some things to go their way but but you know fight it's still a fight yeah there. i think yeah. that fourth spot is um something that's going to go until the last couple weekends of the season for sure and the one thing with real batiste too i'll, I'll finish on this point is juanmi and william jose have had wonderful scoring seasons juanmi i think is second in the league in scoring just behind like kareem Benzema by one goal um if they were to lose either of those players for covid or an injury like that's what i mean by real batista are basically one or two potential losses away from a very different side real sociedad or not well either way that fourth spot's going to be really really competitive william jose that's a that's a funny one he was on um wolves last season and looked not great <laughs> and, and is it has come back and has looked um really effective for Betis this season, a former Sociedad player himself too. True. True. Anyway, with that, Rian, it's 2022. I do feel good things coming in this year. We'll wrap up with that thought. We'll always be back sometime in the next couple of days to talk really about the rest of what's going on in Europe. (laughs) 